the grand spectacle the biggest prize the one that all teams crave for to be the world champion of men's cricket that is if you discount the fact that you had the same teams competing for another world title about a year ago but this time it's different uh, that was t20i cricket this is an odi the purer limited overs format the one that all of us grew up loving and uh, we're just wondering now whether odis really do matter so why does this world cup feel different or is it all in my head welcome to espn cricket first stamp mic i am kaustub welcome to our preview of the 2023 men's odi world cup much like there are reports coming in that there will be no opening ceremony for this tournament there are no intros prepared for today so uh, i have andrew and fidel was supposed to join us but he just dropped off call we will add him back when he gets whenever he gets in so it's andrew fidel and vishal who are going to sit and try and decode what this world cup is all about for every, for all those listening uh... Fidel is also Andrew, so Kostov, you'll have to specify which Andrew is online and which one is dropped off. Call me Miller, everyone else does. It's probably simple as that way. <laughs> and which one is in Australia? Yes, well, he's Nasher. I, I christened him Nasher because, precisely because I was, I was here first. And then I'm Miller anyway, so, so you know, there are no Andrews at Crick and Poe as it happens. We all have different names. Or, or are you the one true Andrew? No, no, I'm the one true Miller. <laughs> and he's the one true... Fernando, like I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining like Andrew will be joining us to give us like month-long weather forecasts, which is seamlessly transitioning in from the Asia Cup, which was also like what a fortnight worth of weather forecasts. Yes, I, it was riveting viewing. It's the be- the best, the best WhatsApp group I've ever been part of. Fidel, I must add, is truly taking the world of the World Cup very seriously because he is joining us from a scenic beach in West Papua. I just had a, and I just had a ten thousand IQ moment when I when I turned the recording on on my phone. I put it on airplane mode so that you know nothing could interrupt. Not realizing that I would, the internet is being run off hotspot. So this this intro is basically uh, my feelings towards ODI cricket and the World Cup, right? Like uh, there's not much prep gone into this. Much like the ten teams who have not really prepped at all <laughs> heading into ODI and ODI World Cup, which is supposed to be far bigger than the T20 World Cup, right? Like is this the tournament that will decide the future of ODIs or? Uh, is this the tournament that will decide the future of uh, OBI obituary articles? Firstly, all the teams were banking on the warm-ups, and they've also been washed out, so we can't blame them. No, I, I think there is uh, there's so much writing on it. It seems like because uh, I think you know uh, part of the research for the plunge, by the way, plug for the plunge here, uh, was that in the last I think four-year cycle. Uh, Australia, Eng- India, England, and Pakistan played 34% fewer ODIs than in the previous 2015-2019 cycle, and it does seem like a like a, a format on the on the wane. I think Osman mentioned that in his uh, World Cup preview as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the what tends to happen with ODI World Cups is that they begin to take narratives of their own. We've seen that even in the 2015 event, which wasn't a particularly exciting World Cup, you know, you still had this incredible manic New Zealand run to the final, which, you know, kind of lit that World Cup up. And it's it's hard to sit here at the start of, you know, before anything starts to say, you know, will this will this decide ODIs or not? Because the, the one thing that you can say for the ODI World Cup is that it does tend to create narratives better than probably any other tournament in you know in cricketing history it does tend to kind of create its new its own heroes it tends to find some gear that has not been foreseen by anybody before the tournament 
And I think that's part of the fun of them is that they go for so such a long time that multiple narratives kind of interweave. And, you know, you have you have teams like South Africa bringing all this history. You have uh, you have a team like Pakistan bringing all this history. And those teams, those, you know, those uh, those histories are often quite very ODI World Cup specific. And I, I you know, I tend to be a little bit more optimistic about the future of the ODI World Cup, whether I'm optimistic about bilateral ODIs, that's another, you know, ODIs in between the two World Cups. I'm not so sure, but I'm a little bit more optimistic about, you know, that the 2027 event will still be a big thing. Um, what we know for now is that in this current World Cup cycle that's that's ending now, the, the Men's ODI World Cup is by far the most valued event by broadcasters. I think it, it commands close to about 38, 39% uh, value of the of the whole deal. And the, and the men's, you know, T20 World Cup doesn't even come close. So, you know, right now it's, you know, it, it's it's easy to kind of like bag on ODIs. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting point that Fidel makes about the history of, of the ODI, ODI format. I mean, by the time this tournament is over, the, you know, by, when the next one comes around, the ODI World Cup will have been more than 50 years old. This is the 48th year it will have been in existence. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of history to invest in one tournament. And it feels to me as though, you know, the, the, there's an awful lot of history immersed in cricket. And most of it, it traditionally, of course, has been uh, linked to test cricket. But test cricket is in a position that we all agree, you know, it it's in a bit of a ropey situation. It's not so much it's not interesting anymore. It's just no teams play it enough. I mean, uh, you know, take take a random example, Tammy Mickball. I, I happened to be speaking to him when he was over in England before his... Uh, before all the shenanigans kicked off uh, with his omission from the from this World Cup, but he was playing in a, a low key match against Ireland in in Chelmsford, and just casually said, "Yeah, that's probably the last time I'll ever play in England." Um, it was a, it was a complete, completely blew me away, but it suddenly made me realise that yeah, it's been thirteen years since I saw him play a Test match in England. He was blazing the ball around two centuries at, at Lords and Old Trafford in that series, and he's never been invited back. And so, if we care about the history. Of cricket, and I think we should, because you know it dates back to 1877, and there's an awful lot invested in it. And we and teams are struggling to care about Test cricket and struggling to find the time to play it. Then, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, the World Cup and all of the history immersed in half a century of World Cup narrative is probably the best sort of museum of of cricket that we can we can create at the moment. And so, yes, I'm all for ensuring that every four years. This this is actually celebrated as the greatest event in cricket. I think it probably is now. I think it's um it, it, you know we we certainly had the greatest final um, we can ever hope to witness last time out, and you know most of the teams that play in the World Cup, with perhaps the honourable exception of uh, of of South Africa, who probably just want to forget most World Cups they play in. But most of the teams, I mean, Fidel can 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 vouch for that. The, 1996 Sri Lanka win and 1992 Pakistan win, 1983 and 2011, even 2019 for England. Almost always the greatest moments for any given team is that moment that they win that 50 over World Cup. And so preserving that as the pinnacle, and you know, the pinnacle is a word that gets thrown around for test cricket uh, willy-nilly, but as far as I'm concerned, the pinnacle for world cricket is this tournament. Like, there's a distinction there uh, between uh, whether... 
uh, we are talking about ODI cricket in itself, or whether we are talking about uh, the ODI World Cup, right? Uh, and uh, what I'm picking up on is uh, everybody loves uh, the ODI World Cup, but ODI cricket is in a precarious place, right? Like, I at least uh, the Asia Cup served as a warm up for me as well. Uh, because we, it's been a year of T20 cricket, right, for almost all of us. And uh, the matches that did happen, the matches that uh, weren't washed away, uh, like, I have lost track of what the feel for the game is. And I'm sure, like, it it feels like even the players have for themselves, like, the energy of a 160 or a 170 target or a 210, 220 target in T20 eyes isn't the same as, like, uh, defending 250 in an ODI or, like, both sides scoring 750 runs combined. So, like is uh is is this where we're headed where eventually like like we we want to reduce bilateral cricket going forward and you just preserve odi cricket for the heritage that it is with uh, the world cup i think it probably is to be perfectly honest i was talking to mark nicholas actually last week the the incoming president of mcc again you know there's a there's a club that that has the history of the game written through it and he was making that exact point uh, that uh, he felt that the, the the odi world cup every 4 years should be the only time you play 50 over cricket. And he also made the point that uh, you have a have an associates tournament at the same time or in the months leading up to ensure that there's the, the, all the teams are going into that World Cup um, playing 50 over cricket and, you know, the best associates get a chance to be on the big stage as well. I don't, I, you know, on, on, the, on, on the face of it, I can't fault that as a notion in the current climate. I mean, you know, we have, we've all sat through some pretty dismal ODI matches over the years. Uh, that's not to say it's a bad format, but it's just... The bilateral grind can make it a bad format when it, you know, when it's, I don't know, the fifth fifth ODI between uh, Sri Lanka and India, say, which who, who always seem to be the two teams that end up playing each other just to fill fill time. There's no time to fill anymore because of the growth of the of the of the T20 franchise world, and so you know the the fifty over window has is is reducing, uh, and I, I actually don't think it's a bad thing to look at it. Um, Look at it as a as a special special treat. Say every every four years, um, you know you got someone like Ben Stokes who retired from ODI uh, from ODI cricket last year, but came back precisely because there was a World Cup, and then he goes and makes 182 against New Zealand last week. And his overriding feeling while making that score was, my God, I got so much time here. I I I've got to 180. I think he was 150 something with 25 overs to go, and he just felt, my God, I've got absolute blank canvas. I could go as large and as long as I want. I mean, 50 overs is a really long time, especially you know the way the England play Test cricket at the moment under Basball. It's uh, you know 50 overs is pretty much the length of any given Test innings. So you know it, it feels as though it's it's the right canvas to allow the full sweep of the game to, to, to be seen. And if you do it every four years, I think it, it will hopefully make it a more special event than, than it is already. Yeah, I mean, there's this kind of, there's this dichotomy between the, the, the bilateral ODI and the ODI World Cup. And the bilateral ODI is not uh, a concept that sends anybody's pulse racing, right? Like, and, and you know, I probably disagree slightly with uh, Miller or at least you know we may, might approach it from a different direction where i do think that odis have an issue is that and this what is the one that's been the longest standing in odis which is the, the the middle overs tend to fall into a holding pattern and teams you know no matter how many rule changes they brought in you know the uh the various kind of fielding restrictions that, that we've had over the years the the new balls everything 
it does still, there is still a 10, 15, 20 over period where things don't tend to move that much, where no, not many risks are being taken. And, you know, there is, there is a significant issue there, which is why the bilateral ODI, I think, seems, you know, feels to us like such a kind of labored event. Um, but the the thing about a World Cup is it's at the end of it it's what we remember from it. You know the the 2019 World Cup final is a great example of this, where it was kind of a, a pretty kind of stultified game for the vast majority of it. it. wasn't wasn't the most kind of run scoring friendly pitch. It wasn't a great swinging pitch. It was just you know there was a holding pattern there for both teams. But then because it had built up and because all the narratives for both teams, you know, going back years had built up that that absolute you know incredible climax that last 30 minutes is what we remember from that match and we don't remember the seven hours that went before that weren't super interesting uh but that last half hour gave us you know probably the most memorable half hour of cricket that most of us have ever seen in our lives um and that is that is the that is the power of the odi that it, it can build up to something like that in the way that tests do as well tests obviously do that over five five days but it, the, the difference here is that the whole world is watching, that it is a pinnacle event in terms of it draws the entire globe in. It feels like a global tournament in the way that Test Cricket and the World Chess Championship just doesn't right now. I think, yeah, the middle overs point is the most valid, which has come up, I think, in podcasts and even uh, opinion pieces in the last few years, how they, how that is prim- maybe primarily responsible for the deaths, so-called deaths of ODIs. But it works both ways, I guess, especially in, in the World Cup context that how Miller was giving the example of Ben Stokes. It's in the middle overs when he probably realized that I've already scored 150 and there's so much more to do, so much more time left. And sadly, middle overs is the time when before a World Cup, uh, viewers may not be that much interested. But again, the other side is that during the World Cup, whether people are watching or not on their TV screens, whether... Uh, the stadiums are completely full or not. Middle overs where the matches might be won or lost. That's that's what I think because if you can take take wickets, especially on flat pitches in India in the middle overs, that could take you all the way. It's like just like piggybacking on top of that uh, point. Um, how does this World Cup just approaching it? Uh, how does the vibe of this World Cup compare to? like the 2019 one or uh, say even the 2011 one right which was the last world cup that happened uh, in india or it wasn't in india specifically it was co-hosted between in, uh, india pakistan uh, and uh, bangladesh but uh, how does the vibe of like as as we is now eventually start discussing like the actual integrities of each and every team and uh, how teams are preparing for the tournament uh, is it just as exciting? Is it more nervous? Are we are we looking at the rain more often than we do, or will it, we will look at the rain as much as we did back in 2019? Well, I I I would say I mean talking specifically 2019. I mean it's interesting to to look back. Obviously, it ended up as a great tournament, but the overriding feeling going into that tournament, certainly in England among England fans, was a one of slightly slight paranoia. To be perfectly honest, there was a, a real worry that. You know, obviously England were a good team, but did enough people care? That was the big concern. It's like this was our big chance to have have a big window where everyone would watch cricket in England in a way they hadn't done previously. And obviously, everyone knows the two thousand five Ashes was the greatest party that had ever happened in English cricket because it was on free to air telly, so the entire country got involved. 
I remember the opening ceremony. We were actually trying to remember this the other day. The opening ceremony of the 2019 World Cup um, was a dismal party. I use the word advisedly on on the mall outside Buckingham Palace, involving various B-list celebrities playing street cricket in front of a crowd of about 400 people, and then it rained and they all went home. Uh, and at that point, you kind of think, I'm a bit worried about how this is going to pan out. But then the first game happens. Ben Stokes takes a brilliant catch. England beats South Africa. Everything starts to snowball from there. And you, you get into the momentum that we ended up with uh, that created a really excellent tournament. But, you know, to compare that with what we've got now, obviously I'm not out in India at the moment, but I sense that instead of paranoia, it's more of a it's more of a complacent build-up, to be perfectly honest. It feels as though... Uh, there's not really any point in promoting this tournament because everyone knows it's going to be huge. Everyone knows it's going to going to be the most important thing when India get to the final and win it. Blah blah blah. Uh, and so the, you know, I, I was to, I think um, Rahul Bhattacharya, our old colleague, was was writing a piece for for one of the papers over here, and he made the point that he you know arriving in India, uh, particular airports in India, he was um, confronted with IPL. Um, advertising but no world cup advertising it's as if you know the world cup is is so big why why waste time advertising it we know it'll be a success because this is india and everyone loves cricket so it's it's a slightly different different situation and you know to go back even further 2011 obviously as you say that that was a world cup that spanned uh the the entire subcontinent not just india and so that opening ceremony when bangladesh were given the chance to to launch things and had had their parade of parade of rickshaws and all the rest of it. That was a proper event, wasn't it? You know that that felt as though you know here we go. This is the, we we we're really putting on a show here to to welcome the world. I, I don't sense the world has been particularly welcomed uh, to this event just yet. Put it that way. Yeah, I mean, the, it's it's funny because BCCI is essentially I mean uh, hosting well the, the ICC official host, but working very closely with the BCCI hosting their second massive tournament of the year, their second months-long tournament of the year. And uh, it's, uh, you know, maybe there's like a, you know, there's just kind of a knowing that, you know, these tournaments end up dominating headlines no matter what happens. And, yeah, I I think that perhaps that's... I From afar, again, I'm not in India yet, but, like, that's, that's the sense I'm getting as well, that people just expect... You know, we know that they've taken off in the past. The 2011 World Cup was incredible. You know, across all three hosting countries, I think people still in Sri Lanka, you know, talk about it. Uh, in Bangladesh, probably too, and India, definitely. Um, they're just expecting it to be more of the same. And I think it's it, it's it's been taken for granted. But I I also don't see, you know, I also don't see how it won't catch fire. You know, I, I don't see how it doesn't take off because these things just, tend to always find a way to, to, to find their feet. Um, hopefully the rain stop. That's probably the only thing that might prevent it. But, you know, it, it, they, they tend to always catch a spark somewhere. No, I was just saying there's not much local buzz either. In Mumbai here, when I come to office, which is about 20 kilometers from my house, from the suburbs to the main part of the city, there's hardly any hoardings that I'm seeing. Some TV commercials have started to pick up now in the last couple of days. And again, there is hope that it's just 4th October right now when we are recording it. The first match is still tomorrow. And it could also be because the first match in Mumbai is not for the first couple of weeks. So maybe that's when things will pick up. India's first match, who are the host, host, the sole hosts for the first time in the history of the game, 
is also a couple of days from now. That's in Chennai. So I'm hoping that there's more of a buzz there. Of course, that factor is there that things might be taken for granted that uh, people will show up, especially for the India games or the big games like England, South Africa and England, Australia and South Africa, Australia. And uh, one other thing is not many people are asking us for tickets yet, <laughs> which also shows that there's uh, not much of a buzz right now. Dale Stain was in office some time back. Nobody asked him for tickets. So hopefully that changes in the next few days. Like the the way I would look at it is, uh, it's uh, I I won't say there's a lack of buzz, but it's uh, cautious optimism rather because uh, given like there's rain, uh, given that most of the squads squads are grappling through injuries, most of uh, like everyone isn't prepped to the hundred percent. Like there is a sense where I feel that in it'll take at least a week or ten days for. Uh, all the teams to understand how to play ODI cricket properly, competitively once again, let alone us fans sitting and watching it, right? Because uh, even uh, with the Asia Cup that happened recently, it's not like we had a full game every single time. So, uh, like, to to get into that, right, like, I have the list of people who have uh, been injured or who are hopeful uh, for the upcoming tournament. And, like, uh, Fidel, I'm going to queue this up to you, right? So, the injured... uh, People for this tournament, uh, as in the people who won't be making it, uh, Rishabh Pant, Bracewell, Hasaranga, Chamira, Naseem Shah, uh, uh, Anrik Notke, Magala, uh, Ibadat Hussain, Akshar Patel, Tami Mikbal, latest entrant to it. Uh, the hopefuls include uh, Travis Head, Kane Williamson, Tim Saudi, and Tikshana, right? Like who will be missing some part of the tournament, but we are hoping that they're fit later. And who knows, Jofra Archer. Yeah, maybe Jofra, Fidel, like my point to you was like, which team is hit the most and why does it feel like it's Sri Lanka, right? Uh, Like it's like they have been uh, blessed by the fact that they could prep for this tournament by hosting Pakistan's Asia Cup on their behalf. It still feels like it's been held together by glue and duct tape for Sri Lanka. And yet they have, they were the most competitive in the Asia Cup. And I feel like despite the injuries or despite uh, the wonkiness of the way the squad is put together it is still they are still going to be the team that will be hurt the most by injuries yeah i mean the hasaranga one is a big one right like he's uh the last thing he did before he got injured was both top the wickets charts and top the run charts in the lpl um which shows you you know the the hunger that he has for 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 for, you know performing in, in both disciplines and he's just a player that just brings so much balance to a team. And uh, especially when you've got someone like Dasan Shanaka who's leading, who's like in about as miserable a run of form as probably I've seen any player in any team for years, um, who's supposed to be that kind of other all-rounder. And so with Hasaranga is a huge miss for Sri Lanka. Chamir, obviously, uh, another big miss, probably the first choice seamer when he's fit. And, uh, yeah, and, and Thikshana as well, you know, someone who has been a very key part of the attack. Sri Lanka, very, very bowling dependent for on, in their ODI game. Their batting can get them to a score, but they really need their bowlers to choke and, and take wickets and bowl oppositions out. Uh, you know, the opposite of, say, like an England uh, strategy, which is, uh, which is kind of built largely around their explosive batting. So, yeah, because the injuries have come to bowlers, it does seem like they've been especially hard hit. But they've also got a decent second string. You know, they've got Pathi Rana there. They've got uh, Dilshan Madhushank for the left arm, Seema, who can, who can swing it in to, uh, to the right-handers with the new ball. Um, they've got some cover 
Dunitwell Lalage obviously had a had a pretty good uh, Asia Cup. So it's it's you know it's it's a precarious. They've they've just been beaten in both warm ups by the way. So by Bangladesh and Afghanistan. So it's uh, no one's got very high hopes for this team. Uh, I think everyone's expecting them. I think everyone would take a middling tournament from them. Uh, but yeah, I think it, we have we have. We are missing some really, really, uh, you know, names that lit up the last World Cup. Jofra Archer, especially, would be fantastic to, you know, um, to see him in, in full flight right through the tournament. Sri Lanka, yeah, uh, you know, that team surprised us the most during the Asia Cup. The way they were really depleted that time and then there was, they continued to bowl out oppositions, I think, until the last two matches. Of course, everybody will talk about their final performance, 50 all out. But I think that's just a one-off. India were also 36 all-out in Adelaide once upon a time and they came back and won the series. Their bowlers, I think, performed really well in the Asia Cup. Apart from injuries, I think where I also sympathise with them is that their first three games are against really tough oppositions. They start with South Africa, Pakistan and then Australia. So if they lose even two out of those three, you know, they'll have a really tall ask ahead of them. Even though then they played Netherlands in their fourth match and then they're back to playing England. So, I mean, <laughs> if we could make further changes to this schedule, if that was still possible, I would put it a little bit in favour of Sri Lanka further. I feel England and India are the only teams that are uh, kind of trying to cover all bases and yet like India just before the World Cup had to break the emergency glass and bring Ashwin out of nowhere right like I think around 2-3 months ago on the spot only I had said that uh, or like George uh, had just floated the idea of Ashwin just coming back into the squad to stand in the batting and I had scoffed at it saying that no he hasn't played an ODI game in such a long time why would you even consider him and uh, yet we are here Right, where he has snuck his way into the ODI squad. Uh, Miller, like, I wanted to ask you, like, can we look at England the same way, right? Uh, Brooke was too good to be dropped and yet you had to drop a World Cup veteran in Jason Roy to make way for him. So, is Harry Brooke England's Ashwin? <laughs> good question. I mean, I, I'm not sure he starts, to be honest. It's a, it's a really weird scenario that England have got. The, 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 they basically set up their team... Uh, you know, pretty much as as this whole entire World Cup has been set up, they basically put their 2019 team in stasis for four years. They, they, they ignored the format entirely. I mean, they they've even built the hundred over the top of the domestic 50 over competition. So basically, no one in England ever plays 50 over cricket domestically or internationally at the moment. Uh, so Harry Brook had not played a single 50 over game since before the 2019 World Cup, and he's meant to be the coming man in this format. So, you know, he, he, I think he played three matches against South Africa, got one, 150 and two, two single-figure scores, and that was the only opportunity he had to make a case. And then, obviously, things changed with Jason Roy's injury and all the rest of it, getting him into the side. But the point is, England have... England put their entire strategy has been built around we'll just pick up where we left off. We have got the mindset, we've got the match winners, we've got the know-how of what it takes when you get to the pressure situations, you know, that that run they had in 2019 where they had to beat India, then beat New Zealand to get to the knockouts, then beat uh, two more teams to to win it. I mean, they had to, they couldn't they couldn't look down, they didn't look down. They got over the line and they believe that they can just harvest that mindset and throw it back out there. The trouble is, 
things do change. I mean, Joffre Archer, you mentioned him. He's he's floating around the squad, but I mean, it'll it'll be a very a very surprising scenario for for me if he if he plays at all. He's obviously not in the fifteen, so it would require an injury anyway. So he's one major major cog gone. Jason Roy simply could not be trusted to to be the man that he used to be in 2019. But uh, partly, as far as I'm concerned, I believe a little bit of fear of failures crept into his game in a way that his entire setup as the man who faced the first ball in any given white ball innings was to blaze it and hang the consequences. He's not had the form of late to be able to hang those consequences. He's known that, you know, he needs to make a score to make a case. And that has changed the way he's approached the game. So... He, his his status is gone. Johnny Bairstow is still a brilliant player, but he had a gruesome injury. Um, he's not as mobile as he used to be. We saw that during the Ashes. So is he still the man he used to be? Uh, and then Ben Stokes, obviously, he's not going to be an all-rounder because his knee is giving him jip. I mean, that one eight two the other day was extraordinary. But, you know, it's it's asking an awful lot to just say, you know what, pretend it's four years ago, tap into the mindset that, that took you all the way and, and we'll be fine. I mean, it may work. It may well work. I mean, this this team is an, a team of mentality giants, to to use Jurgen Klopp's phrase. I mean, you know, we've seen that in the way they've turned around their their test fortunes as well, simply by by thinking more clearly and 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 playing without fear. So, you know, if they can do that, they can go far. But they have had to change an awful lot of key personnel uh, in and around. I mean, David Milan is a fascinating. Um, case study at the top of the order there here's a guy who has basically bulldozed his way into the starting lineup simply by being over and above the best player they've got weirdly I mean he's got 500s in in 21 games and even as recently as the start of the uh Ireland series so so you know when they when they finalize this this 11 he wasn't guaranteed to have a starting place. It was going to be Roy and Bairstow were going to open the batting and, and Malam was going to travel as a spare batter, despite having done everything he could to be the best player that England got. So their entire strategy was, we're going to ignore the current form, current fortunes of white ball cricket. We're going to go with what we know has worked in the past. And now they're having to, having to deviate from that in, in crucial areas all around, the, all around that team. So, you know, when push comes to shove... I don't think they're nearly as well set up as they would like to be, even allowing for the fact that um, they, they, they basically built this into their strategy that, that, that we're not going to play 50 over cricket for four years. So we'll just have to uh, have to um, yeah, tap into that mindset and, and hope for the best. I think the main theme in this, the way the these players have come back, especially Ben Stokes and Ashwin and even Hassan Ali for Pakistan, out of these three, the comeback of Ben Stokes looked more planned than the other two, obviously, but Ashwin had not played an ODI in more than a year. Same for Hassan Ali. And it it just tells you that these big teams want experience when they are going into a tournament like a World Cup. It doesn't matter whether they have form on their side or not. It doesn't matter if they are the fittest, fittest cricketers, if, if they come into the 11 or not. They have been playing cricket, of course. Hassan Ali was playing... Uh, he didn't play in the Asia Cup, obviously. He was playing... I think the Lanka Premier League before that, he was in England playing county cricket. Ashwin has always been playing the IPL and he's called one of the most thinking cricketers from India. So it clearly tells you that come big tournament experience is what uh, going to count. 
like i'm t- taking stance from both of what uh, you and miller said right uh, it's like having experience and having uh, like or trying to push forward a winning mentality right and seeing whether like the two can you can combine the two and have a good tournament uh, since there are no aussies here i think i can like it's the best group to ask this question right like they have been blown away by south africa and by india like their losses either have been huge i'm sorry their losses have been huge and their wins have been marginal or like very small like they have the same injury concerns uh, they have like someone like a madness who hasn't uh, really clicked in odi cricket has been brought in uh, you have uh, travis head who's being chauffeured around uh, injured because we're just hoping that at some point he will come good and then you can replace madness who's in the squad yet no matter how or no matter which way you look at it everybody looks at australia as a top 4 team like th- this is arguably one of their uh, weaker sides heading into a, a, a tournament and yet they are looked at as a top 4 team that will come through to the semi finals like why is that the case why is it that no matter how badly prepared they are or no matter from the outside when you look and you can clearly see there are holes in the problem like you always picture australia as doing well at the world cup well that's just because they have lost i think two knockout games uh since 1996 i mean that 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 that's why they're they're seen as a big team because they deliver almost inevitably obviously they lost the 1996 final they won in 99 they won in 2003 won in 2007 got to the quarters in 2011 won in 2015 got to the semis in 2019 i mean that is an extraordinary tournament record um absolutely no one can hold a candle to it and so of course they're a threat But you know what I've I don't know this will come back to bite me um when of course they they end up winning the tournament but you know if this was England in 2015 the team the squad that they had gone into this world cup with would look as though it is at least I'd say 8 years out of date in in all honesty I mean England's England went into that 2015 world cup as we all know with outdated strategy outdated tactics outdated side I mean Alistair Cook was meant to have led it until his form collapsed on the eve of the tournament and we all know what happened next um but you know the idea that in 20 2023 when everything is moving towards the the T20 zeitgeist and you know we're talking about that or everything we're talking about the middle overs and what on earth we're going to do with the boring middle overs what i think is going to happen to the boring middle overs in this tournament is they won't be boring anymore because you're going to have people blazing because what else do you do in, in in when you get a chance to bat in a 2020 tournament which is what most of these guys have been doing you're not nerdling it around you're 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 slotting sixes so i suspect there will be a lot of lot of hard hitting as you'd expect and australia are going in with a with a with a team that's basically mostly all-rounders plus two unbelievably good test batsmen but Steve Smith and Morris Labuschagne don't strike me as the as the the, the zeitgeisty pairing to have in 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 a white ball tournament at the moment. Um maybe I'm you know I may well be wrong. They they obviously they have an outstanding leg spinner, they've got an outstanding fast bowler in Pat Cummins, they, you know, they got all the all the individual tools um to justify why people think they will they will walk into the into knockouts as they always do. But I don't know. The one the, the one time they they tripped up above all else probably it was 1992 uh in a 10 team 10 team tournament like this one similar format they didn't get out of the group stage on that occasion despite being number one in the world and they uh, you know i i wonder i wonder if um you know <laughs> you know we may be saying this about england for for similar reasons that they they they've come in with a bit of complacency and thinking that it'll be all right in the night 
But uh, I don't know. I've I been mean, a little bit suspicious of of where Australia are at um, over and above perhaps um, I, I would ever normally be going into a World Cup. Just a, a quick one to add to that from Miller. I think a lot of teams will look at Adam Zampa and and kind of put a target on him as, you know, there's not a lot of spin bowling support for him yeah. in, the, in those middle overs. And it kind of leaves him out on a limb a little bit. And so if Zampa has, it, you know, a lot, I think is riding on Zampa. If Zampa has a good tournament, I think Australia will do well. Uh, but if teams, as I think they're likely to do, begin to target him and have some success in taking him apart, um, there's not a lot there, I think, that can provide really good support for him, you know, through a middle of, You know, if Zampa can only bowl five overs in a match because he's been taken apart... Who is going to make up those five overs? There's not a lot there. I, you know, I'm not massively rating Glenn Maxwell as that player, as that bowler. I mean, as a batter, he's he's a different kettle of fish. But as a bowler, I'm not super rating him to cover up that job. There's, yeah, I think that's their their big kind of question. Yeah, that's the main thing. I think this the where you see a big hole in the Australia, in the in the Australia setup. But Costum, Come a World Cup, I don't think you can count Australia out. And even talking about the recent form, the way they lost in South Africa and in India, the series, the two series. In both those series, both uh, Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins hardly played a role. And when they both played together, finally in the third ODI in Rajkot against India, Australia absolutely hammered India. They scored 350 first and then they bowled out India. Yeah, those two did not take as many wickets. They didn't really win them the match, but... It, it makes a hell lot of a difference when your top two bowlers are back in the squad. I, I think it makes a very big difference in the mentality also of the squad. And that's what happens in a World Cup. Whether they won the last World Cup or not, Australia just go on a different level in a World Cup. And yeah, to come to uh, Fiddle's point about the spinner, if Adam Zampa goes for a lot of runs in the five overs, they have already said that Glenn Maxwell is their other frontline spinner. If he already goes for more runs, let's say 20, 30 runs in his first two overs, and you have a turning pitch in front of you, let's say Chennai, which is the first city where Australia play against India, then the match could go out of your hands right there itself, especially if you're bowling first. So let's see how they cope up with that. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing, I suppose, with this format is it does allow leeway for mistakes and, and, and catastrophes and bad, bad defeats. I mean, we saw that with England. Four years ago, right? You know, they 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 lost to Australia, included, and Sri Lanka, and Pakistan. You know, the three big losses that that they had, and they had to, they had to make up ground to get to those knockouts. But you you do look at Australia's recent run of results and wonder, you know, when are those they're going? They they look like a side who are going to lose badly and win very well. But when are those going to come? Are they going to lose really badly and have to make up too much ground? to get to the knockouts or are they going to win well initially but then you sense those bad losses that come in the knockouts I mean it, 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 they don't look like a side who's going to go unbeaten put it that way uh, I mean not many do in a, in a 10 team round robin tournament but you look at India in particular you can you could easily see India getting to getting to the, the knockouts very comfortably I don't I don't think it's necessarily going to be comfortable um, for for Australia and say well, I don't think it'll be comfortable for England for that matter either. I think they're they're probably going to have hiccups along the way. They don't look completely settled as I said before. Joe Root is a worry for me in in terms of where his mind's at as as the anchor of their batting at the moment. 
Um, but I mean, it, yeah, the one thing you can say about the ten-team play all tournaments, it, it does feel as though it will, it will remain interesting. It'll, you know, like a proper league table. Uh, it should have ebbs and blows and ups and downs and uh, keep us all wondering who's going to make that top four right to the the bitter end of the of the group stage. Hopefully. Like Mila, I just want to point out that you can say you don't think Australia will make it to the top four without having to bring England into it. I could see you almost taking that stance <laughs> and then you yeah. backed away. <laughs> right? uh, but yeah, given that it's an open tournament or as open as it gets, uh, I want to close this pod on just asking or going around the panel, uh, asking for their wackiest prediction. Uh, for this tournament and no this is not uh, oh I think these are the top four or I think uh, Kohli will score the most runs or no this is not like that I am asking what is going to be the uh, wackiest event that is going to take place at this tournament I'll go first Uh, it has already been decided that we are going to have unlimited super overs and there's not going to be a boundary count uh, deciding the result of matches so uh, I feel we're going to have a match that is going to go on for two days uh, because through some weird quirk of the playing conditions, it maybe is not specified how long a super over can go. So after midnight, when the super overs are still tied, we'll have another super over the next day in this tournament. Highly plausible. I mean, you know, if if if, if we'd had this rule last time out, it, we'd probably still be playing the final. To be honest, <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine. Can't imagine we'd have separated the separated England New Zealand over the, over the course of two years, let alone two days. Um. Anyway, I, I, what do I reckon? I, I, I reckon there'll be a run out of the non-strikers' end, and it will be a rumpus. And um, you know, whether it'll be England or, or not, it better be against England then. I mean, you say that. It, I, I, it, I wonder. I wonder if England, surely, surely England are forewarned, uh, more over and above any other team by now. You know, obviously, Josh Butler's been done several times in that way. We had the Johnny Bairstow situation. Obviously, not quite the same thing, but during the Ashes, uh, you know, careless leaving of crease without permission. Costs wickets. I mean, it's uh, it is something that I think most teams should have drummed into them. But there's going to be someone dozy who doesn't pay attention, and it will cause a spirit of cricket rumpus, and um, everyone will get their knickers in a twist, uh, and then forget about it overnight when something else more interesting happens. By the by, the way, we had a run out of the non-strikers end in the Asia Cup, which was a complete non. If, uh, you know, it was just it was just completely accepted. And it came to the last over of a pretty you know a pretty close match of Pakistan. I think it was Shadab Khan who was run out uh, against Bangladesh. Uh, no one, we just never heard about it after that. We just no one. I don't think anyone asked a question in the in the press conference afterwards. If it happens between the the wrong teams, it doesn't it, between teams that kind of largely accept it uh, as a fact of life. It doesn't. It's just it's. Really, I think Australia or England that it has to happen to, uh, for it to be for it to be a, a global event. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, it's uh, that's it. That's just that's just the way that that particular run out goes. Yeah, firstly, continuing on that, from an Indian perspective, if Ashwin does it, I am I fully expect Rohit Sharma to then call the batter back because <laughs> there's a disagreement in the Indian setup about that. So that itself will be a spectacle. And since Fidel has not picked Sri Lanka as his semi-finalist, I'm, I'm going to do that as my outlandish prediction. We're way more optimistic about Sri Lanka in this podcast than I think most <laughs> Sri Lankans are, by the way. I think everyone's just trying to... Everyone's just hoping the team survives <laughs> the, uh, the tournament. That's about as much as Sri Lankans are hoping for right now. We, we, we will see in about, uh, I don't know, a month and a half. My God, it's 
my god it's a long tournament <laughs> we will I got one will... last wacky scenario to throw into the, throw into the mix I've just seen on the WhatsApp group that uh, Matt Roller says that the at the captain's press conference um Josh Butler has just been asked um will England miss Broaden Anderson uh, during this tournament so the wacky scenario is a, is a is a shock recall for Jimmy and Jimmy and Stuart Broad to 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 save England's bacon when all their other other fast bowlers have gone down injured the last dance <laughs> unbelievable I mean, it's only it's only been eight years since they last played. Standing. Ashwin came back. Ashwin came back. I'm just saying, it's possible. It is. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on that note, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Miller, Fidel, and Vishal for joining us. Uh, we will see in a month and a half, or I don't know, four years, how much ever long this tournament takes to finish. Uh, about uh, how well our predictions will age. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us so far. If you like what you're listening to, then please leave a rating on Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps take the podcast forward. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you soon. Bye.